Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. On this episode, I catch up with Dan from The Feeling, and it's a lovely chat. We talk about so many records that I've wanting to, I've really wanted to chat about on this podcast for a long time, uh, and little kind of movements and the impact that some of these bands and movements had, um, kind of really sort of fell into a, a bit of a timeline for me as well, and so made this a really interesting and, and, and lovely chat to have and uh, and as you're about to find out if you don't know already Danny's a a, a, a delightful uh, human being to listen to talk um before we get on with that chat um a few thank yous first um the biggest thanks always to you lot for listening and continuing to support off the beaten track um as we we start to head towards 600 episodes which is madness um but it's lovely and I still get that kind of absolute buzz and joy and butterflies and all sorts when i'm just waiting for that guest to to pop up on the screen uh or or to open the door and come in the studio it's uh it's lovely it really is and and i'm and i'm glad that i get to share it and i get some wonderful feedback from you lot so um so thank you um i want to thank the team at the blue murder club podcast they produced this episode um if you like your true crime go and check that podcast out you might also recognize uh, some of their guests as they have also been on here um also give us a bit of uh support um now let me tell you how you do that so you can just click subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on nice and simple you can nudge your mate and go have you heard that podcast called off the beaten track it's hosted by this old geezer from essex that's a bit lispy um, but he really likes his tunes. So you can do that. Or you can head over to Patreon and pay a dollar. So 80p maybe. So let me tell you what you get for that. You get access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of never-released episodes and radio shows. You get to watch this show. So all of the episodes, you get to watch them over there because I put the videos up of the chats. So you can watch them ad-free. You get to come to the monthly live hangout. It's a little live show that I record once a month over Zoom. And uh, and I invite all the patrons along. And we pick a lovely little subject, uh, you know, obviously music-related. Just finished recording um, 
favourite film soundtracks. And it's not a snooty thing. We're not trying to be super cool. It's very inclusive and lovely. And it's just a really smashing bunch of people that have a, a lovely little nostalgic natter. And uh, and honestly, you, you can go and listen to a few. I've released a few on here. So go, go and have a listen. And, and why not come along to one? And that's all, in, all, all kind of included in your, your $1. So why not just subscribe for a month, pay that dollar. And if you don't like it, then leave and uh but you can just join for that month and then go and absolutely rinse the archives and watch everything um and then unsubscribe if you want i don't think you will because well it's 80p a month and but let me tell you that 80 pence goes in the kitty and and it helps kind of cover the the cost to put this together and, and ensure that you're still getting free episodes every week um and and yeah, and I guess that's helping us get to, to 600 episodes. So I know you've all heard me mention this a million and one times, and I guess a lot of you probably whiz past this bit and get to the good bit. I get it. I've done it. Um, but if you can support the pod, like I say, it's 80 pence, and you can click the link in the show notes and just go click and um, just become a, a Patreon and, and drop us a message and, uh, and come along to one of the live shows and, and enjoy watching all the stuff and enjoy rinsing the archives of stuff that has never been released to the public patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash off the beat and track and that's the only way that um the the podcast is financed because there's no sponsors it's all done via um a lovely little gang of uh patrons that all pay 80p a month um also I guess some of you have just turned up here for the first time and already you're thinking, I wish this geezer would stop banging on about Patreon and trying to grab money off me. But what I will say is uh, you've you've come at a great episode because uh, this chat with Danny is absolutely delightful. Um, and when it's finished, why not go and have a, a rummage around in the archives? Because there's well over 500 episodes and you can hear me talking to... Swade, you can hear me talking to oh who where shall I go with this? Um Idlewild, you can hear me talking to the killers, um Judas Priest, uh you can hear me talking to Blimey, where to go next? OMD, you can hear me talking to Matt Goss, um Motley Crew, um Chuck D of Public Enemy, amazing acting talent um like Maxine Peak, Joe Hartley, Michael Smiley, Thomas Turgus, David Duchovny, him of X Files. Uh you can hear me talking to some wonderful comedians like Jade Adams, Maisie Adam, um uh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble. Honestly, it is a very, very, very big uh back catalogue and they're all there to be enjoyed for free. We talk production today, so why not go and listen to my interviews with Wonderful producers like Butch Fig, wonderful producers like Fatboy Slim, uh, they're all over there. So, uh, so why not go get stuck in? And we talk about some of the, the, the stuff that Dan's involved in in film scores. Um, has some fantastic composers uh, in the archives as well. All there for free. I think that's everything you need to know. Uh, oh, the website. Go to the website, and that's got links to everything: Patreon, socials wherever you can well, anything you need regarding this podcast it is at off the beat and it's not beaten beat and track podcast.com right i've been going for six minutes 37 seconds and we've not even 
had a word from the guest yet. I'm going to shut up and I'm going to get on with it. So please enjoy this delightful chat with the wonderful Dan from The Feeling. Dog, 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 dog. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's me, Stu with him. Hey, the boy. We are recording. Dan, how are you today? I'm very well. Wonderful, wonderful. Where, where where are you? Is that like a studio set up there? Um, this is where I work. This is my place in Hackney. Oh, look at that! Um, it probably looks much nicer now that I'm yeah showing you properly. But um, I've been here for about twelve, thirteen years now. Oh, it looks wonderful. Well, look before we get into um, your music, let's um, let's kick off the playlist talking about other people's music. And I always start the podcast the same way, Dan. Can you tell me the song, please, that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please? Um, the thing that jumped to mind immediately to me um, was uh, Funeral for a Friend on on um, Elton John's album. I think it's Yellow Brick Road. It is, yeah. It's like the opener on the album, and it, it, it has this kind of insane kind of uh, classical-esque uh, synth kind of prog uh, thing going on. Um, which has always felt sounded really kind of magical to me when I was a kid, particularly, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just really one of those amazing. Um, it's hard to hard to describe because when you're a kid and you don't really know what a synth is, you hear these noises and you hear this kind of orchestral thing going on, but it's not orchestral. It's it's definitely synthesizers. But I was too young to know what a synth was when I first heard that. I just heard this kind of magical warm yeah. music that was really um ambitious and really um kind of slightly cosmic at the same time and yeah it was it was all kinds of weird things going on with that bit of music and it goes on forever but i kind of love it because it's so audacious and so 70s would you have listened to that on vinyl yes because that was one of the the very very few Decent records my folks had in their collections or nestled between Brotherhood of Man and, and, and stuff like that. I pulled out uh, the uh, the gatefold of uh, of Goodbye Yellow on yellow vinyl. Uh, wow. and, and I remember literally just staring at the sleeve and, and opening it up and, and, and seeing yellow vinyl and thinking this is the coolest thing ever. And then hearing it and that intro, it's, it's pretty magical. And, and with that in mind then, I'm, I'm I'm interested to know because my, my and tell me if I'm wrong. My, my kind of take on the feeling is it's laced with with sort of pop sensibilities, as is a lot of Elton John's work, of course. Um, and so I want to talk intros. And over the time since maybe the feeling uh, first come into the, the, the sort of the, the the public consciousness, the way that people get their music is very very different. And mm. people now uh, are all over, you know. And I guess the attention is now from labels to get you on the right Spotify playlist and to get you trending on TikTok and 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 all of these things, which which I guess to to to, to a fifty year old me sound a bit funny, but it's you know it's the fact of the matter that these things are pivotal parts of marketing campaigns. Now, what I find with those, I'm watching my children on their devices and how they consume not just music but but content if you want to call it that um is the attention spans are pretty short and they're definitely getting shorter and as as a as a as a dj um 
I've, I've definitely noticed post lockdown that attention spans on dance floors are even quite uh, shorter than what they were. So, in a kind of long ask about face way, the, the, the question I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, Dan, is does any of these kind of changes in how people consume their music and, and that kind of attention to, you know, grab them in three seconds, otherwise, you know, you, you're not going to get them and you're not going to get on this playlist, etc. Obviously something that that Elton John track is a million miles from, but I think the industry was a very different place. I'm still talking, but this question will come out sooner or later, mate. Does any of these changes filter through into your creative process, Dan, when you're writing? Um, yes, I mean, I'm kind of... Um, I'm not one, actually, for the incredibly long, kind of uh, dramatic uh, kind of pieces of music. Though I have, you know, released songs that are kind of six minutes long. Um, Sewn, for some reason, was six minutes long, and mm. it, it, it got cut down to three and a half for a single um but it makes sense at six minutes um How, and then I... there's other material that i've done that that really doesn't feel like it wants to be more than two and a half minutes long and i think it always was the case that there was pressure to hit them with the chorus and you know keep it kind of snappy and make it kind of um bite-sized and that was certainly the case in the late 50s and the early 60s with a lot of pop music and the the, the kind of 45 inch single would have been something which was supposed to be kind of, yeah. you know, really tight, really concise. And, and there was something about that that was always the case that that was what the, the people were expecting. And then there's this kind of weird era in the 70s, which which I kind of love, I suppose, with the advent of the popularity of the LP and stuff, with where music could become a bit more expansive and a bit more over the top, and a bit more baroque and a bit more all of these things. And it was still pop music, but it was pop music that had you know, big ambitions and, and sonically, you know, the advent of the multi-track recording systems that allowed you to do kind of, you know, huge amounts of multi-tracking and, you know, you get the kind of electric light orchestra records and you get that kind of quality of hi-fi recording that means that you can, you know, bring an orchestra in as well as a pop band and, you know. Um, and I think that... Um, it goes in 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 waves and and, and there's popular in which is really popular for a song to feel like it needs to be really snappy and then someone comes along with Bohemian Rhapsody or something and proves everyone wrong, you know that actually a song can do more than just yeah. you know, the the kind of three minute pop thing. So I get that. I, I, I'm I'm loath to say that that uh, that that things are always going in one direction. I think they kind of ebb and flow a little bit. And the other thing I'd like to think would be that when, you know, when we're all kind of like being pushed by an algorithm in a certain direction, and certainly if someone who's not used to making music for an algorithm, I'm used to making music for myself. Um, I've certainly felt that pressure, but then every now and then something bucks that trend and it kind of, you know, kind of disrupts things because people just feel a way, a certain way about a song. You know, I remember when Tiny Dancer came, you know, came back into Vogue and it was never a big song in the first place. And then suddenly it's on this movie and this song that doesn't get to the chorus for like a minute and a half. You know, suddenly it feels like it's two minutes before it gets to the chorus. And you just think, well, that's amazing. And that becomes this huge kind of massive comeback hit for Elton. I think it was really kind of um, excites me when, when that happens. You know, these these things happen. I think, you know, you're asking a lot of your audience to to arc on about one piece of music for 
six or seven or eight minutes, of course, yeah. you're asking too much of the audience. But sometimes it's worth asking that yeah. much of the audience, and sometimes it's not. And most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, the song is better when it's three minutes. Yeah. You know, two and a half minutes. If you can't say what you need to say in two and a half minutes, then you know, <laughs> you know that most of the time, like ninety yeah. percent of the time. But there's that ten percent of the time when a piece of music can afford to be so lingering and so beautiful and long and and develop slowly and and be a whole journey within itself yeah um and so yeah there are no rules we'll just kind of make it up as we go along and every time someone tries to say there's rules and trends and all that kind of stuff it gets kind of there's always a kind of uh, counter narrative yeah. be it somewhere else so yeah i I've, I've given up trying to kind of figure out what 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 the rules and the trends are i just kind of follow my nose and make what i want to make nowadays in regards to you mentioned that song was 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 a lot longer than the the, the edit that, that that made radio. Um, how do you how do you deal with them kind of conversations? You know, at the time of the label, just going, "Oh, we love what you've done, but we're going to literally halve it." Like, obviously, I'm I'm probably aware that you know that that is for the purpose of radio, but something that's so personal to you, you know, was there? You know, do you have back and forth with with, with stuff like that, or do you just kind of let the label do their thing? Well, no, we 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 do the edits ourselves we insist on doing the edits ourselves for radio because i'm also a radio fan so i don't want you know the fact that that was chosen as a single that's what caused the issue yeah because it was chosen as a single which was a surprise to me to a certain degree and then it was like okay now how are we going to make this work on radio because i think it does work on radio. it could work on radio but it's going to have to have this treatment to it and actually we did a slightly odd thing with that song where we cut it down to one verse and one chorus and then this whole the bit you normally cut out which is the proggy instrumental stuff toward the end all that kind of stuff that that's the obvious thing to remove for radio but that's the stuff we kept in um and we made clever little snips in the middle and we took out a whole verse and that's how we made that song um work for radio and actually i like the radio version as much as i like the other version you know there's a version which which is lovely to sit and listen to that lingers and is great for life because it goes on for ages. It, it, it's kind of really dynamic. Um, and the audience do get into this kind of place with it because it's a ridiculously long song. But it, like, I don't think the radio edit's any less good. You know, the radio edit is, is glorious because it's just so concise and there's, something, there's a great beauty in that as well. Um, occasionally a song doesn't lend itself to a radio edit and it can be a bit of a, um, struggle yeah. to get it into shape. There's a song from my musical called He's My Boy that we've always, there's always been an attempt to try and make a radio version of that song. And it just, because of the way it builds so incrementally that you can't edit it without there suddenly being a jump in dynamic. Yeah, and yeah. that doesn't work for that song. So it's, it's, that's one of the songs that, that really struggles to be edited down. And, um, so there's there's different kinds. There's all kinds. There's all kinds. Some songs, some some songs can can take that kind of treatment, and some songs can't. And, and uh, but it's, there's no hard set rule. I don't I don't mind people fiddling with my work, and I don't mind people covering songs and changing them. And as long as they kind of understand the basic notion of the song and yeah. bring something to it, I always find it really joyful when I hear a remix or a, or a sample or something. You know, whatever it does happen. Tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please mm, the first song that i would say had a proper emotional impact well, the one that i remember and i can't say that i remember the first time i heard a piece of music that moved me but one that i remember from my childhood is love and affection by joan on the trading 
that do it, will it? That will do it. I think it's the first time I heard. I mean, I must have been a kid. It was my mum's record, and I think it's just so um, viscerally, viscerally romantic. Like it's crazily romantic that song, and I don't think I knew what romantic was when I was a kid. But I think the first times I st- first time I started having romantic thoughts and feelings, I suddenly got that song. It's the song that kind of put music and words to those romantic feelings that you have when you're like starting to get when you're like nine. And I think that that was that was probably the one I remember being like, oh wow, this is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Music doing something, doing that thing. You know, before it was always very much a kind of... um, something to enjoy and something to set a mood and something to kind of uh, uh, dance to or jiggle along to or try and learn how to play these songs and all that kind of stuff. But when you get a song like that, that the, in a quite grown-up way um, shifts your emotions, I think that's quite uh, powerful. So, And I think that her voice, the record, everything about it is just stunning, I think. Yeah, that's 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 the the lovely thing that, that I love it when, you, when, when guests kind of of echo you know what what you said there that the first time that you realize there's like oh there's levels to music like th- this mm-hmm. actually you know isn't just that kind of pop ditty that makes me want to just you know dance a little this is like this there's levels to it this is cutting a little bit deeper and and it's making me you know <laughs> think a little. i love that i think that's such a and, and what a beautiful song to, to to have that too as well is a wonderful record mm-hmm. um where was where was home growing up then? North London. Okay. Was... Yeah. So I had two homes because my mum and my dad um, had two different households. I was raised by two women on one side of the family. My mum's a lesbian and I was I was raised by my dad um, on the other side who was like a single dad. And they shared custody between us. And my dad had a lot of the kind of classic rock albums and then some of the kind of stranglers and... and uh, um, talking Heads and mostly bandy kind of music, yeah, and more bloke music, I suppose. 
And then my mum's stuff was Motown. And then the artists that were part of the LGBT scene in the kind of 80s and 90s. So it would have been Joan Armour Trading and it would have been um, uh, Arrhythmics and then all the queer acts like um, uh, Erasure and Bronsky. Yeah, Bronsky B, um, Yazoo, um, certainly that kind of stuff. And then also um, records like uh, Tracy Chapman's record came in at that point. And so you've got all that kind of kind of political kind of, uh, uh, kind of music that was part of the scene as well at that time when I was growing up. So a real mix, actually, because my dad was much more into guitar music, really. Um, uh, but my mum's stuff was more pop and soul and, and then obviously the kind of queer pop stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that era of pop music was such a fantastic time for pop music. I mean, you mentioned Erasure and Yazoo and and and, and music like that and Bronsky Beat. Like, this, they're, they're perfect, perfect pop records. Like, absolute yeah. solid gold gems. And to have that, and also to have, you know, a mum that listens to Motown, which is as perfect pop as you ever going to get and then you've also got that influence of like full-on kind of you know dad rock and, and bloke music to quote you <laughs> i mean you've got the best of both worlds there mate that's right yeah yeah i mean i was obsessed with as, as obsessed with pink floyd and like learning every guitar solo yeah and all the hendrix and the you know the stones and the every beatles record and all that kind of stuff. that was all happening on one in one in one side of my life so there was that kind of thing. So I was absolutely obsessed with that stuff because I think instrumentally wise, I was really buying into that kind of stuff. But then I think with the the pop side of things, it was the vocals that were the thing that I was focused on. That I think I learned a lot from the vocal stylings of of those those kind of soul records, and then the white kind of like you know the kind of UK white soul legacy from that, which was what certainly was was. Uh, kind of coming across in the in the queer music of that era because the queer music of that era was certainly referencing kind of uh soul music from america before that so you know lots of those queer artists were kind of wanting to sound like kind of marvin you know what i mean there was a lot of that going on a lot of soul kind of a blue-eyed soul happening um which is certainly kind of um something so i think yeah i think now i think about it you know when i was at my mum's house i was like singing into an airbrush and when i was at my dad's house i was playing the tennis racket yeah you you also mentioned <laughs> about sort of working songs out and stuff like that so was there instruments laying around the house yeah i got my first piano when i was five wow um at both houses because i went to school there were no musicians in the family but when i went to school um my first week at, uh, at my kind of primary school uh, I was five and uh, four, just turning five, and I I said I want a piano, I want a piano, I want a piano. I didn't stop going on about it until eventually I got one in both houses. Fantastic! <laughs> and they were crap pianos. I still got one of them, and I love it to bits. But they were like, you know, they they were one was out of a pub because my dad swapped it for a multi gym, and then the other one. <laughs> And the other one, Mum found on like that loot, loot the paper, the free paper. Yeah, of course. One of them came with loot, <laughs> and it was like fifty quid for a piano which still had candlesticks on it. And um, that was in the hallway, and they were they were always a bit out of tune and, and kind of like old honky tonk tack piano. My dad's one, which I've still got, and I use it all the time. And my piano tuner, like, why do you still have this crap old piano? 
But I'm like, I use it all the time because it's it has to be tuned a semitone low because it can't hold the tension of, yeah. of 440 anymore. But it's like this like beautiful zingy pub piano sound that I use quite a lot on records and I use it on soundtracks as well because sometimes I'll do like a top line on the piano and I'll want to bring it out a little bit yeah. on the tack piano. So it's really great. It gives you this kind of ABBA thing that sometimes yeah. happens on pop records as well. Lovely. Well, you touched on school then, and uh, so let's let's move on to the next track. And I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Can't believe I've, can't believe I've committed to this now. But Star Trekking by the Farm is it the Farm or the Fern? No, when I got this, I thought Star Trekking by the Farm. I thought he must mean the firm, like... the firm not the farm. <laughs> anyway, Star Trekking was it was like. It was a primary school, I think at the age of about six or seven, that came out. And it was like a moment in our school. Yeah. Because it was like a novelty record that everyone could get behind that was like, and it had like stupid lyrics. And um, anyway, I just remember it. I just remember it really well. It just reminds me of like uh, the playground. And there are any other songs that I would say I remember from later on, because I went down that kind of like playing in bands route. Um, and then the other school, most of the kids in my school were more into like the pop music that was happening at the time, which I wasn't really into. Um, I wasn't like listening to Snap um, or any of that kind of stuff, all that kind of house stuff that was coming in. I wasn't really that interested in the house pop stuff. For some reason, I kind of didn't. So I, I, I then went off down this route of wearing DMs and dyeing my hair black and being the grungy kid um, and everyone else was so so there was no kind of connection in school but when i was a bit younger in primary school before any of that stuff happened that silly record came out and we'd all sing it in the playground (laughs) great choice great choice um tell me about what you was listening to when you know you found your docs and dyed your hair and because it's it's that kind of are we talking kind of you reference snap then are we sort of talking sort of late 80s like 88, 89, maybe. Yeah, I think it must have been. It must have been the first Nirvana record. It must have been the first Pearl Jam record. Oh, a little later then. Mm, so 91. A little yeah. later. It was 90s. It was 90s. Late 80s. Um, I was more of like my dad's record collection and started taking I was into Pink Floyd and mm. um, never got into the Smiths because I kind of missed that window. But like kind of got on board with that sound with Suede and with, with yeah. you know, the kind of. Uh, Brit pop side of things, maybe, but the more kind of angsty side of it and grunge, you know, that, yeah. that I suppose that got me. Because if I if I if I went from like learning how to play, you know, Sweet Child of Mine in the school band, the next phase that was cooler than that was was you know what I mean, like uh, um, playing, you know, Jeremy and all that kind of stuff. You know, those those, those kind of songs on the guitar and you know, grunging out and being really. Um, deep and meaningful and teenage angst angst <laughs> angst i was really into it i was i was full angst um yeah, full angst. i mean probably not so much with nirvana because i guess that was kind of more entrenched in sort of punk but you know to mm. to, to reference sort of sound garden as you was listening to that could you kind yeah. of correlate that with the the dad rock that that you'd grown up on because there's you know pearl jam and I adore Pearl Jam, but they're a, a proper rock band, aren't they? Like, you know, they've got, yeah. it's, but certainly on the first record, it's big solos and, you know, and it's it's very sort of traditional rock in its, you know, although it got kind of thrown in the grunge thing. Like, could you kind yes. of 
get that correlation. Yeah, I mean, I was still playing with tennis racket. So I was still jumping around being being kind of like, you know, playing. So, so you know, it's not that different from like learning the taps and sure. solos to learning the solos on the, you know what I mean? If you've got like yeah. cream or you've got records like, um, you know, uh, like I said, all the, all the kind of Pink Floyd records. My dad also had like Stranglers and, and records and some of the kind of, uh, you know, slightly more sophisticated stuff like Talking Heads or whatever yeah. um, that going on. But but the the jumping around and playing guitar solos thing was 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 through um pearl jam i got to uh, in nirvana and then you know that kind of it was it was that kind of journey so they were connected everything was slightly slightly connected and it was like and also when i was at school it was like you're either into guitars um and you were kind of you know black nail polish polish on or you were one of the kind of um big puffer wearing kind of sporty kind of i don't know one of those kids who are more into kind of slightly more housey stuff i suppose and the music was was more like that kind of pop house i suppose and then but there were also lots of people like drummer bass as well when they were at school and there was lots of like that was all coming in at secondary school it was an interesting place being in london at that time because um the the influences were kind of clashing and, and mixing and you know by the time um you got um you know, uh, uh, for example, like the kind of early festival scene, whirly geek, international festivals. It's like, like you'd be at a rock festival, but you'd have Prodigy doing dance music, but it kind of felt indie and it felt crossing over with punky indie stuff. So it was a really kind of interesting time to be around. And and the, the genres were blending a bit and... and you know, I still feel like Nirvana's Nevermind is like a pop record in many Best ways. Pop record, never mind. The production is just so mint and so beautiful, and such a great pop record. And those songs are just pop songs. They've just got they've just got huge amounts of angst in them, and that makes them feel grunge. But I don't know whether they are. It's not like a Soundgarden record, or or, or there's something about them. It's like it's really pop. It's really concise. Um, so yeah, it's it's I I. I really enjoyed all that stuff. I was I was getting into all that. I was kind of listening to everything really. And actually secretly I was still I still had um you know Lonely Lover by Marvin Gaye, yeah. you know, as one of my favourite go to records that I love listening to all the time. So I was really, really listening to everything actually, to be honest with you. And and you see just to go back to the, the, the pop perfection and never mind, you know, as a DJ uh, DJing in clubs back then as well. Like you could play, apart from something in the way, you could play any track off of Nevermind on an indie dance floor, and it would go bananas because every, even the ones that weren't singles, Drain You, Stay Away, Territorial Pissings, yeah. they're all fantastic pop gems. They really, really are. And it's a shame. I, like I had, I had Butch Vig on the podcast a few years ago, and he, 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 you know, and I was very excited to talk production of of Nevermind and Pumpkins and Sonic Youth and stuff, and. And and Kurt wasn't massive on the production sound, was he? I think he preferred the um, the the production of I can't think what his name is. That's going to bother me. That that's on the subsequent albums, but yes. And and I think it's just perfect. Never mind. I really do. I think that that I mean, yeah. as far as intros goes, I think Teen Spirit's probably on the. I've done five hundred and twenty of these podcasts now, and and. <laughs> Teen Spirit has been thrown in there many, many, many times. Oh, really? Um, Dan, I want to ask you about... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. said London, and then you sort of mentioned the music, and then a little while ago you referenced Swade. Now, I'm, 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 a, I'm a bit older than you, and for me, I loved the whole grunge thing. I thought it was fantastic, but it wasn't necessarily something I could relate to. It was very American. And then all of a sudden, this Bowie-esque, Morrissey-esque kind of guy comes from nowhere, and he's singing about London and the kind of like the sleazy side of London, and it was like camp and interesting and exciting, and Bernard Butler was fucking maniac with a guitar and, and and seeing them live like early on was like still to this day one of the greatest things i've, I've ever seen can you remember yeah. did, did swayed impact on you in, in any way shape or form like that hugely hugely and i think i kind of worked back mind you my dad did have the 70s bowie records as well so i kind of knew hunky dory and i knew um ziggy album uh, and so you could hear all that stuff going on. But when Suede came, it was like, um, yeah, it was like a kind of, uh, I don't know, I felt like there was a kind of spiritually, on a spiritual level, I was, it, it was, it was my music. It yeah. was music, musical, but wild and exciting, but it felt sophisticated. Also, it felt like suburban. Yeah. It, you know, it was, and it was, you know, there's just so many great lyrics and so many great songs and it was so longing as well. It was yeah. longing in those records. Um, and that, but that sound was thrilling. Bernard Butler's guitar style was so yeah gorgeous, and 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 they, they were just a great band. I used to go and see them all the time, and I was in their Drowlers video at one point. I was yeah. There was this video that was only released in America, and it was like a weird video where we all had to sit in a in a massive like in a club where they had like all the foam came in, all those bubbles and stuff like that. So it was like a live performance video, and we're all like dancing around while we're teenagers getting soaked in soapy water. Amazing. And, um, yeah, I did that when I was like 15 or something. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, look, this is one of the sort of uh, last ones in the sort of very formative years. Tell me uh, the first record you remember buying from a record store, please. Um, I think my first record was Cuddly Toy by Roach, but that's the first single I bought. Love it. I think that's what it was. Because there was other al- there was LPs and stuff, but they were mostly like, slightly embarrassing compilations um but the the first like single i bought was cuddly toy road shows that still holds up it's a great record yeah i yeah. think i just like the way it sounded i just was like obviously the kind of like soul part of me was kicking mm. in and i was just like this is great yeah absolutely um i did a gig with him last last year actually quite fun i i came and, I, came and sang with us <laughs> he uh yeah i want to play <laughs> It was really weird because I, I, I loved that. And then 
obviously Adam Partridge used it in the opening scene to uh, the, his movie, and I just I could not remove Partridge from it. And when he come, I think he released an album, maybe probably after lockdown, or maybe just before lockdown. But I did go and see this this little show in London that he that he done to launch his album, and and I hadn't listened to a Roachwood record for many many years. Oh mate, his voice was unbelievable. Like, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. It's still got it. It's great. It's like it's brilliant. And that record is just pure joy. Yeah, like it's just such an upbeat, fantastic, yeah. like soulful, brilliant kind of pop record. And um, yeah, the the the, the Alan Partridge effect is really something to be uh, to be wary of. I remember I did a show with with the we got to play with Hyde Park years and years ago with all of Abba's original band and Bjorn Bjorn and Benny were there. A lot of the original musicians for the record came over and they did this big thing in Hyde Park and it was called Abba, Thank You for the Music. It was quite naff, mm. but it was fun. It was like a Radio 2 thing. Um, and Chris Evans was presenting it. We, we got asked to do a song. I got asked to do two songs. One was um, Does Your Mother Know, which I was um, wary about because it's creepy generally as a record. But I was like, okay, I'll 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 do it. I <laughs> felt really weird seeing that. So the other one was Knowing Me, Knowing You. And... Nowadays, it wouldn't be a problem, but back then, the whole of you know, just doing the ahas was <laughs> just trying to do it with a straight face. Oh, but it's such a shame when that happens. I just think it's really bad. Like, when a, when a comedian decides that they're going to kind of take one of our pieces of music and do something, <laughs> I'm terrified someone's going to do that with one of my songs and make the whole thing a laughing stock, you know. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, Let's go clubbing, Dan. Tell me the song that soundtrack your years uh, going um, clubbing, please. Well, it's not really a clubbing tune, but they never really went clubbing. Mm -hmm. um, but I've got Mary J. Bly's uh, Family Affair because it reminds me of the R&B room on a Monday night at Heaven. Upstairs, there was this scene that I discovered that I absolutely fell in love with, which was which was the kind of it was all just 90s and early noughties R&B. So when I was about 21, um, actually it started going when I was about 18, 19, um, when my friend Seb, who still lives with me now, um, we used to sneak off to, to heaven on a Monday night and then upstairs, there was one of the smaller rooms upstairs because we were like, it was, it was like kind of like classic gay dance music downstairs. Yeah. But they had the R&B room upstairs. It was just so cool. It was hot and it was sweaty and it was all just R&B from that era and everything that Dre produced and everything that came out of the stable, anything from like um, Brandy and... SWV, and, you know, Jade. SWV, all, all of that stuff. And then Mary Jake coming up with these absolute bangers and that was like the song that will always be just the nicest, just the nicest song to dance to. Yeah. It just the, the groove and it wasn't too fast and it wasn't mannequin. It wasn't like the kind of like high energy music yeah. that was downstairs. It was just, it just had bounce. Yeah. And, it, and every track that they played that, that early Destiny's Child stuff and the, the kind of, it was camp and it was kind of fabulous. And it was mostly women vocalists yeah. doing kind of like really just fab pop music yeah you know basically. from that r&b stable it was a real golden era i think yeah. for r&b that that particular bit particularly the female-led r&b of that particular era was fantastic stuff and i still really love it and it reminds me that was if i ever 
did really get into going out clubbing. That was the era when I enjoyed it the most. Yeah. So where was clubbing aside from heaven? Was was trying to think, was pop stars happening then? Did you go to pop stars at the Scala? I did go to pop stars at the Scala, but I was in the rubbish room, which was the, which is the room on the top. That was, was that was my best mate, was the resident DJ upstairs, okay. and he used to yeah. play all the great 80s stuff up in the, uh, right. in the See, top room. Was, <laughs> Scala was great, and it was like doing the indie stuff, right? And it was the whole thing about like being like queer and indie, which was supposed to be like, it was like, but the truth is I kind of wanted to be playing, listening to, you know, Pet Shop Boys. And they kind of called it the rubbish room, but it really was just a great room with great music. I loved it. And it was very much that kind of indie scene where everyone was yeah. everyone had like, you know, we're indie, so we're cool. So we're wearing the indie gear. But the truth is, we're upstairs dancing to, cool. you know, old Kylie records. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I'm going to take you home for track six, and I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Okay, so I misread Home County, and I th- they said Home Country. I'll like, let you off, Dan. You'll be the 488th out of 520 people that have done it, so don't worry, mate. You're in good company. <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't know what my home county is because I'm a London boy. Yeah, you've got London. You've got the best choice. <laughs> I know, I've got all that choice, but then it's really hard, isn't it? So really, I, so what I picked was Kate Bush, um, Man With a Child No Eyes, because it's on my list of like just the best songs of all time. Kind of plucked it from the air a little bit. Actually, I had a look on my jukebox upstairs when I was trying to figure out what songs. Um, and it was there, and I was like, oh, no, that is that is just a stunning record. But I don't know where she's from. Where's Kate Bush from? She's, uh, is she not a Kent way? Am I... Am I... I, I think close she, enough. I think she, yeah, you can have it by default, don't Because of county wise, I suppose I could pick a Bowie. That's the only thing yeah. I could do. And that would just be absolute beginners by Bowie because it would just be that for me is is another song of pure romance. Mm. And I think songs that are pure romance um, are quite rare things in the modern day, the modern era. Like genuine pure romance in a song is something which I think is probably one of the hardest things to get right. And not to seem kind of schmaltzy and kind of awful, but somehow do it and it still be beautiful and still be cool. Um, I think Bowie does it with absolute beginners. I think that, um, uh, and I think Joan Armour Trading does love and affection. I think they're, they're both two songs that have a kind of a kind of love in the romance in them that I just genuinely believe. Um, so I think is a rarity in modern music. I, I'm so glad you said absolute beginners. Um, it's my my favourite Bowie song, and it's nobody chooses that because I don't know why. I think it's perfect. It makes me think of Frank Sinatra. It's so grand and it's just yeah. beautiful. And maybe it got overlooked because the film bombed, I guess, and was a bit of a you know. But yeah, what a record! What I mean, a record! Also, I think the trouble is, there's always going to be a cooler Bowie choice, mm. and most people are concerned with that with being cool. But you're you're looking at someone who gave up the idea of being cool long before I even started making records. So, so you know, like, I, I'm totally, like, absolute beginners. It's the song for me. I love it. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, look, this is your last song, Dan, and, uh, and this is your opportunity to be a tastemaker. And uh, can you tell me, please, a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please? I mean, I don't know how rare this is, but there's an artist I love called Judy Sill. Um, she's an American singer-songwriter from the 70s. I believe she was a lesbian. I believe she worked as a sex worker. I believe that she'd she'd kind of 
um, was quite problematic. And I think that she, in that she, um, the story is that she was signed to, um, oh, what's the label that, that Joni Mitchell was on and all that gown? Um, and it was run by a gay man and she outed him in an argument that they had. <laughs> She was always having arguments with people, this Judy Seal character. She said, there's got to be a film about her or something. I'm desperate for someone to make some kind of biopic about her because her records are extraordinary. She does these incredible arrangements, string-wise. She's self-taught um, as a musician, but she her musicality is off the hook. She might be most known for having written the original version of Lady O. Um, that's her. She wrote that. But this song of hers is my actual favourite song of hers, and it's called Jesus Was a Crossmaker. And it is just a piece of kind of folk masterpiece for me as far as I'm concerned. Her vocals, double tracks her vocals in this really extraordinary way. I think she's got, she had a really modern sound to her. And she's like a cross between Janice Ian and Joni Mitchell with a bit of soul and poppy stuff in there. It's just, she's just really completely fantastic. So, and I don't think many people know who she is. Absolutely. Well, that's a wonderful choice. Um, Dami, make it easy for people to go and check that track out and, and every other record that we've spoken about today because we put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and uh, listen to all the records we've spoken about. Um, let's stop talking about other people's records and, and let's let's find out what you're up to. What's happening? Um, I'm just, just about to do the seventh album with the boys, with the band. Um, that's, that's kind of coming out in April. Um and I go on tour um, in May. Um, and then we're going to be playing, you know, all the festivals over the summer as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's what the band is doing at the moment. We went and recorded that last year in Italy. That's, that's all done and dusted. All done and dusty. We found a studio in Italy, which was just really lovely to be at. We decided we were going to just kind of go out there for a few a few weeks, uh, you know, week-long hits. And we went out and we just... Um, recorded the album there it was just really relaxed and and really lovely and when you're seven albums in you feel like it has to come that way it has to just come out of a, a sense of um there's no pressure really you know no one's no one's kind of going we need the next really album yeah. you just kind of go are, are we ready to make a record do we feel like we've got what we need to make another record um and we just kind of make it happen and, oh, and it's, it's really nice to be in that position in yeah. your career because <laughs> we've all got so many other things so the strings to our bows and stuff that, things that are keeping us busy when we're not doing really albums so it could quite easily just be that we kind of forget about it for a few years but there's something that always brings us back to working together and doing another album together I don't know what it is but it's nearly 30 years since we've met and we're still um, still best mates and still love making music together so we're just very grateful for that Wonderful And and you, what are you up to aside from the band? I'm doing a soundtrack for Audible. I do quite a few of those. I I, I did a series of ones with um, San Mendes um, execs, a series of, of um, Dickens um, Audible projects. There's kind of sometimes six or seven hours of, of uh, Dickens plays that are done in kind of Dolby Atmos. And I record the soundtracks for those. So that's kind of a composing job, which is the first time I've done pure composing. Um and underscoring for something and it's really lovely it's really fun um and it's very different from what i do as a, a songwriter and then i've got um more musical theater projects so after jamie i did Brokeback mountain on the west end and i'm just about to go that that was great because i did that with eddie reader and um 
had uh, BJ Cole come and play and some extraordinary musicians came and came and played in my band for like four and a half months in, wow. in the West End. It was it was so much fun. And Eddie was an absolute dream to work with. And um, they were all were just so lovely. Um, and then the next music I'm doing is, I can't remember which one it is now, but there's a, there's a few, but they, they take years to do. So it's it's I'll always tell people, you know, ask me in three years' time. <laughs> I'll be closer to it being on a stage by then, probably. So yeah, a few different projects, um, a film as well, um, where I'm writing a musical film. I just really enjoy doing musicals, so I'm Wonderful. still doing those. Wonderful. Well, if people want to keep up to speed with all things that you're doing uh, solo as, as well as what's happening with the feeling, where's the best place to keep up to speed? Um, you can go to my Instagram, probably it's just uh, Dan G Cells, um, and uh, yeah, and the feeling is is always they're very supportive of what I do. So if you follow the feeling anyway, you'll you'll find out what I'm doing. Fantastic. Well, if it's all right with you, we, we, we will tag you in it when this episode drops, so if people aren't following you already, then they can do so nice and nice and easily. Please do. Fantastic. Dan, thank you so much for talking records with me today. It's been really, really lovely. and uh, It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I'm going to press stop, but don't go anywhere. There you go. Lovely man. Lovely chat. Lovely time. I hope you've had a lovely time. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. As I mentioned at the beginning, go get stuck into the archives. Um, well over 500 episodes uh, with some of your favourite pop stars, producers, DJs, actors comedians just go get stuck into that archive while you're there click subscribe then each week so i've got some wonderful guests coming your way soon some absolute superstars and i don't want you to miss it so click subscribe and then they'll just pop up on your listening device and uh and you ain't got to worry about missing anything um go check out the patreon if you enjoyed that um you can go and sign up for AEP, or if you just uh want to say a little thank you um with a donation towards the the production and the, the the cost of putting this together there's a link in the show notes called buy me a coffee so you can just go over there and buy me a cup of coffee because uh coffee's nice it keeps me awake keeps me chatting and that's what i like doing um i'll see you next time in the meantime uh look after each other much love i'll see you soon bye bye